guys. Thanks for joining me on the Tell Me More podcast. So anybody who's been here before knows that I'm Amanda and I really just like having conversations with people. So anybody new here, I just want to kind of give you a brief outline of what I like to do. So the reason that I started this podcast is because I get so much value out of having conversations with people and people who have different stories than me and people who have been through different things than me. So that's what we're doing here again today. So I talked to Nick and Nick just tells me his whole story. And you know, he's maybe not his whole story, actually. (laughs) He tells me a piece of his life. Um, But it's really interesting. And so Nick is an actor. He's a dancer. He's a podcaster. He's got a podcast called Queer Queries, where he kind of dives into all aspects, queer, gay, that whole spectrum. So he came on today and we just had a conversation kind of based around that and his experience and his life. And it was a good one. So take a listen and let me know what you guys think. Thanks a lot. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me on the Tell Me More podcast. So I'm your host, Amanda Nielsen. And when I started this podcast, my intent was to have conversations with interesting people about interesting things. And so far, I think I've done that. But I also need to educate myself and you guys, my listeners, through having these conversations. So I mean, like, if we're not learning and growing, what's the point? So I'm becoming more and more aware of my blind spots. I like to think that I'm a pretty understanding person and that I'm able to see things from other people's points of view. But here I sit, a white, straight female living in Canada So there's obviously a ton of topics and lifestyles that I just don't know anything about because I've never experienced them and I don't live them day to day. And I'm starting to find it really annoying how many people have these strong opinions about these things that they haven't ever taken the time to understand. So that's what I am doing today. I don't know much about the queer experience or what it's like to live as a gay person, but I really want to understand. And I think having these conversations is a good way to start. So I think that today's guest is the perfect person to come on here and chat with me about everything queer. I am so excited to welcome him. He's the host of a podcast called The Queer Queries. He's an actor. He's a singer. He's a dancer. Welcome, Nick Eibler. Ah, hey, Amanda. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm very excited that you agreed to come on here. I've been listening to your (laughs) episodes, like I told you, and they're so good and so well done. And I just am very excited to chat with you. Thank you. That, that, that really means a lot. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's do like just a little bit of an introduction. Can you tell me about like who you are, where you grow up? What's your story? For sure. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I need to know details, Nick. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I was born in a cold night. No, I'm not. No, totally. that's not true at all. No, I was I, I was born somewhere cold. I was born in Chicago. Um, born in Chicago, then moved to Boston, sister was born. And then but I claim Atlanta as my home because I basically grew up in uh, just like 30 minutes north of Atlanta, uh, uh, Georgia, um, a very, a very a nice, like, uh, uh, very, like, actually a very supportive, like theatrical area. A huh? lot of people I grew up with got into theater and we had a great support system between our parents and between dance studios and performing arts studios that were that were in the area so I was very lucky to have like that great support system and 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 knowing that being in pursuing uh, acting and being a performer was a viable career option sorry how old were you when you moved there like did you what like what brought you there was it your parents industry or yeah my dad so my dad uh used to work for uh Volkswagen. And so he got moved down there to, I think, I don't know if he started there, but he was for the longest time, like the head of the South Beach region of Volkswagen credit. So he kind of like was in charge of like the Volkswagen that like lent out to all of like the dealerships that where you go and, and buy your cars to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. You think after all this time, I would know exactly what he does, but I just know he told me he is the head of the Southeast region of Volkswagen credit. I'm like, great. That sounds cool. <laughs> That's all you I, need to know. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was, it was because of that. And I was, Oh God, I want to say, I remember we moved there pre Nine eleven, and I just remember the day we moved. I had this best friend who was our neighbor, and I remember hiding under her bed in our this like where we lived, right outside of Boston. And I was so sad, and I really, really didn't want to go. 
but I'm, I mean, I'm so glad we moved and I'm so, I'm very, I'm very blessed to have had a really good upbringing and, and a great community that in, in Georgia that supported my desire to be an actor. Awesome. Um, and that's yeah. good that there were so like the acting and theater community was so big around you. How did you know that that was something you wanted to do? Or was it kind of like, not even a question from the age of whatever you were in the, <laughs> into that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I think it was my parents kind of figured it out because I was always a very creative, imaginative kid. I loved like just creating my own worlds when I was a kid. I wasn't really big into sports, you know. My dad tells the story that we're. I was. I had the the bat and he had the ball, and at some point, I put the ball, the bat between my legs and ran around the field <laughs> saying, "I'm a witch. I'm a witch." And I think, and he loves to tell that story because for him, that was the moment where he was like, this is what this kid is supposed to do. Yeah. He's a performer. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I grew up on, I grew up on Disney. I grew up on all of the old Rodgers and Hammerstein movie musicals. So like Cinder, uh, uh, Oklahoma, Sound of Music, King and I, and, and yeah. And then I got into this after school program at my elementary school called Let's Pretend and oh. I loved it. And my parents were able to see, oh, he's actually kind of good at this. Yeah. And then in, I think like f- summer before fourth grade, or yeah, it was like, yeah, that it was then. I got into this program called CYT, Christian Youth Theater Atlanta. And, and that's kind of like where it really started to kick into gear and was very involved with that. And then I learned about an organization that was only based in Atlanta at the time called Broadway Dreams Foundation. That was like a summer intensive where they brought Broadway performers on and you like worked with them for a week and then put a show on at the end of the week. But you did master classes and and got to be in, in uh, musical numbers with them. But at that audition, I the woman who was the artistic director was like, you know, they're coming. Disney uh, casting is coming to Atlanta to have auditions for Jane and Michael Banks for Mary Poppins on Broadway and the tour. And my mom and I are like, this is the first time like we've ever done anything semi-professional. And Mm -hmm. so we're like, oh, my God, like that sounds amazing. But we have no idea what to do. And so I can't remember kind of like what the path was, but that's when my mom and I really started to, to, to learn and research like the, uh, the professional audition process and all that goes into that. And that kind of like really kickstarted me being serious about that. And, and, and then something that uh, an experience I had during that was I actually was made it to the final callbacks for for the role in New York. And ironically, I got cut because I was too tall, which is <laughs> funny because now I'm five, five and I'm too short for a lot of things. Um, <laughs> Did you say that was in the fourth grade? Like you were that young when all this started? So I, I should have clarified that, that the audition was in fifth grade, but that was like towards the end of fifth grade, I believe it was. Or that's end still of beginning. really, really young. Yeah. To- kind of know like this is my thing and your your parents obviously saw potential in you and they're like okay this kid is good at this let's get him some headshots and get this done is that kind of how it was like we're just an arts family now (laughs) it is what it it is exactly I love that yeah but I after I I I didn't get it I was of course devastated and I was crying because I mean we had spent so long listening to the soundtrack and and getting really excited about it and my mom, I think, called my voice teacher because she didn't know what to do. And my voice teacher called me. And I remember I'm I'm sitting sobbing like behind a chair in our hotel room. <laughs> and my voice teacher says, like, feel what you feel. But she was like, if you're going to feel like that, if you're going to react like this every time, I think she said it probably in a, a nicer way than that. But she was like, then this business isn't for you. Wow. And I remember in that moment, like to some people that could sound really harsh. Yeah. And she, I think she said it a lot nicer than that, but that's what I took away. I remember. Yeah. yeah. And in that moment I was like, it was like a light bulb. And I was like, you're right. Yeah. I want to do this, but this is a thing. And so that kind of like was what really kickstarted me. I was like, great. I'm going to work even harder. And I mean, obviously what, 
didn't get me the part was something out of my control, but I was just like, you know what, I'm going to, I want to be, I want to do this and I want to be serious about doing this and I want to pursue this as a career. And then from that moment forward, like me and my family, we really, I was like really supportive, supported by them. Like they were very much understood the process of it all, which is very rare, even for parents who have kids in the arts to really understand the process we go through. Right. Did it take over your whole family? Like, was it that, you know, we can't do this because Nick has an audition. We can't do this because of that. Like, did you guys just become one of those families or how did that work? It's, um, to some, it, it took over my family in the sense that my sister ended up doing it. We both ended up going oh. to a performing arts studio. My parent, my mom was like, became like kind of like a PR, um, outreach person for a lot of the shows I ended up doing. And my dad would like build sets for the shows. So we were always very involved that way. But in terms of having to like compromise for other, other things that would come up, I don't really, I don't remember anything. Um, Yeah. It seems like your family just accepted it and that they all seemed to enjoy it. And it was awesome. And it's obviously still going on because you're still working in that industry, right? You're Mm -hmm. an actor at the moment. Yeah. Which is awesome. So how is that just a side note, like the whole COVID thing, like how has that affected your, your livelihood and your work? Are you working currently? Um, uh, uh, no, I'm unfortunately (laughs) not. Um, everything is very much shut down. Yeah. Uh, I was actually doing a show that we literally opened the show, had two, uh, performances and then my, it was so funny. My birthday was on our the day I call. I was like the last day before everything changed. Uh. <laughs> and it was March March 11th is my birthday. And that was the day that we had our last show. And then literally the next day, I wake up and I see articles. Broadway is shut down. Things are shutting down. And I'm like, yeah. as soon as I saw Broadway was shut down, I'm like, it's only a matter of time before we're going to get an email. And literally an hour later, still haven't left the bed. Uh, we got the email saying, unfortunately, we have to uh, shut down the show. Oh, my God. So what was going through your head at that moment? You probably didn't think it would last this long, hey? Yeah, I <laughs> I, I mean, I think mo- everyone, almost everyone is in the same boat. Like, yeah. it didn't hit, really. For me, it didn't, the gravity of it all didn't hit until a month later. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Because yeah. like we we got the like on the the Broadway articles it was like shows are gonna pick back up I think it was April twelfth or April thirteenth and I was like great like that is my benchmark for for gauging things and we're getting close to that point and I'm like nothing's getting better yeah so um, and now here we are in July and it's yeah have, have you heard any word because I know th- certain things are opening up but stuff like that isn't really hey. Yeah, I know. Well, there's a lot of uh, theaters and directors that are experimenting with um, socially distanced theater. So mm-hmm. I know there's one actually director who um, who I know about who has, has directed, is like a Tony-nominated director and, and has done a lot of work on Broadway that actually apparently did a show in a field that was pretty successful. I know there are to the Actors Union Equity approved two theaters to open soon under new socially distanced measures. Um, I don't know exactly what those measures are. I haven't haven't looked into it yet. But um, right now, I know for Broadway, and it's not planning on opening back up until January of next year. So wow, it's very much everyone. Everyone is in the same boat. My I actually just had a conversation with my mother that she saw some. Uh, like a statistical interview or or article that like a third of the industry is po- is either planning to leave or entertaining the possibility of leaving the business. Right. I've actually I listened to a lot of comedians and I follow a lot of comedians and there's some of them who are like, you know what, like maybe I don't like stand up that much because they're like they haven't been able to do it four months and they're kind of doing other things now. Like, do you find yourself you're sort of falling into that or are you like, no, this is who I am. I can um, wait. Um, it's, it's, it's half and half because I, something, uh, I, I went to a a really great college program for musical theater and things I really discovered, skills I really, uh, I discovered that I had and I was good at and I enjoyed while I was there was I really enjoy creating my own work 
and mm. and f- doing other things under the entertainment umbrella besides performing. So very much for me right now, I'm trying to, I'm like a lot of people, I'm trying to find other ways to create performance opportunities in either a digital way or a, a socially distanced way, or just trying to find some ways to reevaluate theater and how can we make it so it's a more accessible because theater definitely has like the reputation of being an elitist art form and, Mm -hmm. and B so we can be, we can, we can do what we love to do, but in this new world where we can't be in front of a live audience and we can't fill out houses of like 500 plus people um, and put on a show for them. So so yeah, and I very much have that like just like producer like creative mentality to to try and find solutions like that. Good for you. Is that sort of why you started your podcast? Cuz I know it's sort of a new thing. So is did that come from this or were you always going to do a podcast? It it definitely it definitely came from this. I I knew I'd wanted to do a queer centric project for a while. I was actually I took a class in New York that um, was all queer performers, uh, queer, gay, lesbian, trans, non-binary, all, all, all the, ga- the, the entire gambit. And it was the first time I'd ever done something like that. And I had this idea before the class, but I wanted to create some kind of immersive theatrical experience. So there's a show in New York called Sleep No More, and it's in this old abandoned hotel. And it's basically a combination of Macbeth and some other older, older, uh, older play. And you basically kind of follow around, follow these different characters around this like seven story hotel and watch different scenes. And each time you go, it's a different experience. Mm. Um, and so creating something like that, not something like you're sitting down and watching a linear narrative, but yeah. that uh, put queer people at the forefront and in the center and especially have it be some kind of like a historical piece and almost like you're stepping into different rooms and it's you're stepping into different mo- important moments in queer history. So like you follow one character and you end up in like a, a 1980s Harlem ballroom or you step into one area and you are following someone who has the pink triangle on and is living in uh, uh, Nazi Germany at the time. And just like all of these different moments that, that, that are in the, in the world that is, that is queer history. Cause like I didn't grow up, I never grew up learning about Stonewall. I never grew up learning about character people like Marsha B. Johnson or, or Sylvia Rivera or Harvey Milk. Um, and I just wanted to create something like that. Right. That's what I was going to ask. So that's what you're kind of wanting to do here is to have something that people can listen to. That's kind of like stepping into different little pieces of the queer history. Is that kind of what you mean? Exactly. Yeah. Like that. And then just like exposing people to all these different, uh, just like firsthand stories. Cause like uh, I watched this documentary on Netflix called disclosure that talks about trans uh, identity through television and film. And it talks about how like, I think 75 or 80% of Americans have not, or do not know a trans person. And the only exposure they get to trans identity is via what they see on television. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think just like talking with this these people and having them just share their story, I think helps to expose you to to different viewpoints and it, yeah. and help to normalize like queer people like are we are just like everyone else. It's yeah. just because of what society portrayed us to be that you think of us in this in this different light. And I'm like, but all the the universal experiences like of of love and of self-acceptance like that's that's universal no matter your your gender identity or your sexuality yeah i absolutely agree with you and i think that is one of the main reasons i wanted to have you on because i've been getting in these discussions with people recently and all like everybody is so dead set on their ways and 
their opinions. And I'm like, how can you have an opinion on something that you don't experience or you've never been part of? Or, you know, like, why don't you have these conversations and educate yourself? And people are like, how are you supposed to educate yourself? I'm like, have conversations, talk to people, hear their points of views, and then use that point of view and listen to it and say, okay, do I agree? Don't I agree? And then have another conversation and say, okay, put that into your brain and say, okay, well, compared to the other conversation I had and all these, like, knowledge is power. And I'm finding that so many people these days are just so dead set in their ways or these opinions that they have these opinions formed and they don't even know anything about it. (laughs) It's it's exhausting. So that's why I wanted to have you on today. So you have experience in the queer journey, I suppose, Mm -hmm. because you identify as gay. Mm -hmm. So can we just do a little history? Like when did you first realize you were gay? Um, How did you have any issues coming out or any of that kind of side of it. Yeah. I so I remember now looking back on on just on my my life thus far. I remember I always had like crushes on like guys in like certain crushes on guys in in movies like there was this uh version of Peter Pan that came out in like 2003 I think. And I had the biggest crush on the boy who played Peter Pan in that movie. Um, (laughs) And I just remember having these like dreams or like things where I was like, I was like in Wendy in these moments. And I was like helping Peter like save the day. And there was a movie called Hoot. And there was a boy in that that I had a crush on. So how old would you have been at this time? God, I was like, oh, three. So I was six. Okay. I was six years old and I wanted to be, I wanted to be Wendy, the Wendy to the, to that Peter Pan. (laughs) Um, but, and yeah, and I, I don't think I thought, I don't remember thinking anything of it. And I just remember, I, I thought there was something, and I don't even know if I could describe this of my feel, what I was feeling as an attraction it was just I knew I wanted to, and when I say I wanted to be Wendy, I just I mean I I didn't want to be a woman. I yeah. wanted to be uh, in her place, like um, the closeness that she had with him, exactly. And the because right. they very much romanticized the the relationship uh, yeah. of Wendy and Peter in that movie. And I don't, I honestly don't think it was until. I believe middle school was when I realized what the term gay was and what the world thought of it. And I think my first exposure to it was there is this movie on Lifetime called Prayers for Bobby and Sigourney Weaver was in it. And she was like this very devout Christian mother whose son came out to her. I don't know if he came out to her directly or she found out somehow, but she was very, she very much rejected it. And he, I think he, he had a boyfriend, but the, the, how his relationship with his family and how, how, how negatively it, much of it had an, of an impact on him led him to commit suicide. And it was mm. a very, it was just a very, he ended up jumping off a bridge and it was based off of a true story. And that was my first exposure to to specifically the gay identity and so when you saw that did you identify it like holy cow this is me this could happen to me or were you just like this is somebody else's story i i remember something about it felt like it hit close to home right yeah i couldn't i i couldn't describe what but Mm -hmm. i remember being like just it that feeling like it was me but i still at the time i still couldn't I still don't remember if I could say like, oh, I, I word, I was, I was gay. I just right. knew that there was something about me that was different. And, and then in the, and then like years afterwards, it just like kept, it kept bubbling up until I was actually able to put words to who I was and what I was feeling and what I would have to do if I were to accept that feeling and move forward in this new identity, that's who I always was. I just finally realized this is, this is how, this is the only way I feel I can live my happiest life is by accepting this part of myself and hoping that those around me accept it as well. 
was there a part of you when you finally realized, okay, like, I think I'm gay, I, I'm i gonna admit it to myself? Did you have a little bit of denial at first? Like, no, that can't be true? Or were you right away kind of like, no, this is me? No, it was it was very, it was very much denial. Because I, I remember I somehow met some, like a couple boys on Facebook Messenger, I don't know how, that were also gay. And was talking with them, but I was like not being like I was tell I was like telling myself I'm like you having this does not like having these conversations and talking about these things does not mean that you're gay. You're right. just figuring it out. Like I still very much like I also had a crush on this girl. Uh, I thought I had a crush on this girl uh, at the time. I think I just like, I liked, I really liked her as a best friend and I loved the idea yeah. of being with her. And also my sister was watching Say Yes to the Dress at the time and I wanted her to be on Say Yes to the Dress so I could be on Say Yes to the Dress and help pick out the <laughs> wedding dress. Um, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that's, yeah. So um, I feel, I, funny, I feel like I, I've never told her that, but I really like want to go and tell her that like, like Haley, this is what I wanted for us, but I'm like, I should have known. <laughs> she will have to let her listen to this episode. <laughs> Truly, yeah. Um, That's when you were, because in middle school and high school, like kids are kind of mean, right? And did was anybody? Were there rumors going around like Nick's gay? Because like kids pick up on that kind of stuff. Did you deal with any of that? There wasn't any from kids. Um, so full disclosure. Full disclosure moment, something that happened to me that made things complicated for our family. And I am very passionate about talking about with people. I haven't actually said it on anything public. Um, But I was involved, there was in this organization that I taught you, talked to you about, that I auditioned for Mary Poppins with. I, there was this. I was doing a show out in California and there was this Broadway guy who was like co-artistic director who I really admired because I was like, oh my God, like you dance like how I like to dance and, and, and you're just like are really a, a, a great role model. And he was also gay and he reached out to me and was like talking about like, oh, how is the show going and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, there ended up being an inappropriate relationship that he pursued mm. and that- what was that, the age difference? Like he was older, he, obviously? Yeah, he was in his he was in his 30s and I was in like 13, 14, I believe. Oh, okay, um, well. And unfortunately, that kind of narrative and worse happens quite frequently in the 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 theater community and and the gay community especially because something I'm also like very passionate about is talking about and learning about is as as queer people but in my instance in as as a gay man we don't grow up we didn't really grow up with role models or people to talk with so right the reason i continued talking with him is because i had no one else to talk to about these things that had right. lived through it and in a harder time uh, had grown up with it in a harder and less accepting time. Like this was, I believe, 2011 or, or, or a few years before that. And you don't, you don't, you don't see it. You, yeah. you just, you just see the the good that the relationship is doing. And it's like, I. Yeah. You see that even in heterosexual relationships though too, right? Like you'll sure. see that 13 year old girl with a 24 year old boyfriend and you know, it's like, Oh, he understands me. And it's cause I'm so mature or whatever. Right. And you know, she's getting something out of it, like some sort of value. So it was the same probably for you. You were getting something out of it that you needed from him, like his knowledge or his approval or whatever it was. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, especially, I mean, I mean, he was, he was a Broadway guy and the organization he was a part of, there was very much a, a favoritist kind of, I don't know, quality amongst it. So if a broad, if one of the Broadway people liked you, it's like, oh my God, like that was it. At least, at least for me. Um, right. So you wanted him to like you. Yeah. And yeah. which is, which is very much like a, a narrative that we have heard far too often about like someone yeah. holds 
power over totally. you for yeah. your career and they take advantage of that power. Um, yeah. but, but long story short, that very much, that was what made, that was the thing that made coming out for me and my family and the people around me mm. harder because my parents thought it was something that he brought on me and not something that I already was. Oh, um, I see. Okay. So you grew up fairly religious, right? Because you said you went to a Christian, was the Christian. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I, it was, I wouldn't say we were like super, super religious. We, it very much felt like we went to church because we had to. Right. Cause that's what people do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. my, at the time, my parents, like I was part of Christian youth theater, which though it is, it's, it's predominantly a youth theater program. There still is that title Christian ahead of youth theater. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time in middle school, I wasn't doing Christian youth theater anymore, but my parents were part of a small group that were all of the parents were parents of performers in this small group. And they were all also involved in this organization. And my parents brought it, what had happened up to the small group, because one of the guys in the small group was, was part of the board because they were not sure how to deal with it. And like the relationship you had, is that what you're talking about? Just, I think just everything with the, with the relationship that was going on with this guy who everyone knew um, and who's a a very high place in this organization. And what was your thoughts? Like, were you like, this is my boyfriend or this, I just like this guy. Like, were you guys, was he your first sexual experience or what was that? No. So basically it was, it was, it was like a, it was a mentorship was the relationship or how I think I looked at it because like I said, he, it was the first person I could talk about these things with, but there was never anything, anything uh, pursued sexually. Um, Okay. Which is like, like I said, like I, there are narratives that are, have been far worse and why I am, I all, I try to be like, tell, talk about my story when I can. Like I said, I haven't, I haven't said it in a, in a public setting um, yet, which is something that I've actually been, I've actually wanted to for, for a long time now, especially post the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. um, because it's especially, I mean, it, it, there's a, there's, it's especially a thing with like, we, we hear the stories about like it being a thing in like with men pursuing younger men in the Catholic church, we hear it being a thing yeah. in, in the theater industry. Um, yeah. I read an article recently about someone, a very prominent man in the Broadway community who who took advantage of 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 an intern of his but but again like like we've seen these men have power and and these men are respected so people are willing to look the other way and you even don't even realize you're being taken advantage of i think at at first right like i'm sure you were just like you said a mentorship you don't yeah Like I, I know even just, I'm going to bring it back to me because I only have the one lens, but like, I've been in situations like as a young woman where you're just like, okay, like whatever you say, you know, because somebody who has power is telling you something or showing you something and you don't know, you don't know that you can say like, well, that's kind of weird. No, or like Mm -hmm. this is inappropriate, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It def it, it clouded it. And it's the, the reaction towards my parents was also not great because as it happens within a lot of religious families and religious groups and has happened and why my family, I we're not really religious anymore. I consider myself like agnostic and you have people like looking at like us and like they did something wrong. And like, I did something wrong because like I said, I was an active, I actively participated in talking with him. Right. But and isn't that isn't that crazy that anybody would place blame on you or your parents in a situation like that? Like exactly. looking Yeah. And I think yeah. yeah, I think it's also I think it's also very much a thing because of the view how queer people have been viewed in the church and in um in religious environments, like the fact that it was a boy and man type situation. I definitely feel like that had an impact on it, 
but we moved past that and it was it was hard for a period of time but my parents now i am so proud of them and are some of the most like understanding and and loving and supportive people i know and i'm so proud of their journey not just in that aspect but in in all aspects of just like trying to educate themselves and be better humans um love it yeah that's for, awesome for me and for just 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 the world and so yeah that was that's kind of like my part coming out journey Right. So, and I I know, like, I have listened to your podcast, so I know you kind of said that you never actually really came out. Like, one day you just decided to mm-hmm. ha- show the world that you had a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So, is does that have something to do with maybe, like, your generation? Because you're a little bit younger, mm-hmm. and people don't really feel the need to have to come out anymore because there's just... It, like it just more normalized? Or what was your reasoning for that? I don't know. See, it's so interesting because acceptance of queer people and the vernacular that has come to light and has been created in the past few years wasn't really around even when I came out, which is Mm -hmm. so weird. I'm like, that's only like, like nine, 10 years ago. But I mean, it wasn't until like, like it wasn't until recently, like 2015, that marriage equality passed. It wasn't until right. recently, like literally like the other week or the other month that uh, uh, discrimination against uh, people based on their sex, how they, their gender identity or sexual identity was put into the, I think it was title seven by the Supreme court. And like all of these, these, all of these identities that are really getting, being put into the spotlight I didn't know about when I was when I was growing up and when I when I came out. So it was still very much like it would people were still accepting, but it was still like like I I I I didn't know. So did you have gay icons or I know you mentioned that there was some like Disney characters or whatever. Like who did you kind of look up to as an icon? Yeah, I that mean the strength to say like being gay is fine. Like yeah. I'm doing like Yeah, I had I don't remember ever having uh, someone who who identified as being gay as an icon except i want to say it might have been uh, my first one might have been oh god um honestly i i i saw i watched watched rupaul's drag race when i was very young and i used to be terrified of drag queens but there was <laughs> something about seeing people express themselves in that way that was so admirable and so brave and i think it was this it was a bit of of fear and uh, of like oh my god how could someone be confident enough or like be sure enough to do this because i used to i used to have such a rejection to i was like yes i'm gay but it's not like that's just a small part of my identity it's not like I don't want to be defined by it or like or or have it be and and now I'm like it is one of my most favorite qualities about myself because of the history it ties me to because of the larger community it means I'm a part of I yeah I but like for for me my my idols that I grew up were always like were all I I very much looked up to 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 women who are very sure of themselves and very much like like I loved the Disney villainesses uh, <laughs> because they literally are drag queens. I mean, like <laughs> Ursula is based off of Divine, who's a who's a, a, a was a world famous drag queen. Um, is she really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and yeah, and then because it's they literally embody and and the actresses of that time like like Joan Crawford and Betty Davis and oh god who else uh, uh uh Gloria Swanson and just so many of the old Hollywood actresses embody qualities that gay men were attracted to this this drama this um shortness of who they were but also this they like why Judy Garland's an icon is like she performed very much this iconic persona, but went through so much of so much uh, just heartache and turmoil because of the society around her and what they put her through and what the men in her life put her through and through. And so there was something that 
queer people very much identified with like performing one thing, but going through all of this heartache and not really feeling whole because you aren't getting to live the life you want to live. Right. And I know like I listened to your one episode where you were talking with your friend who ended up with HIV after just two sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. And I think it was kind of, you know, understood that, you know, it was due to lack of education. Mm -hmm. So I think in your conversation, you guys were talking about how, you know, growing up, you go to sex ed classes in school or whatever it is, you're learning, you're watching movies, you're seeing TV shows of you're watching all these straight relationships. And that's how you guys are seeing it. So do what do you think are the like, what steps should we be taking to educate like the the queer and the gay population? Or should we be including more of this kind of like safe sex stuff for everybody in school? Like, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I uh, like I'm I I'm no expert. I just I just know what I needed, but what would you have wanted? Yeah, I I think one thing that is so important is waiting for your child if they identify with any gender identity or sexual identity under the queer umbrella, waiting for them to come to you with it and but also being just remaining open and not But what if they don't come to you? Like there's a lot of like would you have gone to your parents? I, I wouldn't have gone to, I wouldn't have gone, I wouldn't go to my parents because the information was not out there. The one beautiful thing I think is that's out there now is there is more information. And I think I, 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 I don't like, I think, I think my personal opinion, I think sex ed, because it's, it's, it's in an abstinence based and, and in my personal opinion, I think that's very much like not helping anyone. Mm-hmm. I think that might depend on the school and the school system, though. Like, it, I don't think it's all abstinence based. I think the religion ones are abstinence based. I mean, even even I I very much remember like uh, feeling feeling like that somewhat in my public school setting, uh, mm. uh, getting that to some extent. E- like, even if it's not it. <laughs> exactly, even if it's not as explicit as it would be in in uh, like a Catholic school, there's still that undertone of 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 it being a thing because that's that's ultimately to my knowledge where it's rooted in why why it was right. created to obviously yes show you teach you about sex but i mean yeah and i i just think for queer sex ed it's i think just like having people i don't know creating uh, i don't know what the like what i'm trying to say like but a safe a safe space for everybody creating a safe space them. yeah creating um just being adam like having whoever is created like the education system work mm-hmm. to actually create something like that yeah. to present it because like, and, 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 and whether it be like, I don't know, whether it be uh, something, I don't know, the medical system like doctors can do or, 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 or something, like I said, I don't know. Yeah. I don't have the answers. I just know yeah. when I was in sex ed, I was like, this isn't helping me this at all to me. Yeah, because totally. um, especially for, I mean, for for gay sex, I mean, so many people think of okay, sex has to be in a a penetrative form, and right. and that whether you think so or not influences a lot of of relationships. And it's like, okay, well, you are this position, but I'm also that position, so mm-hmm. we can't really be in a relationship because sex can't be enjoyable. It's because sex, the way we're taught is because it's supposed to be penetrative because right and and so that means like that person like could be like literally be the love of your life and you're like sorry we can't do that and it's like so is that actually is that something that is an issue in that you've noticed in your relationships um not my it's not my relationships it's these are all and it's very interesting because i'm one of the things I've very much considered during this time is I would is pursuing a degree in gender and sexual studies. So I don't just have like, I have these thoughts and I have these things and I'm like, I've noticed, but I don't have like enough information to come up with concrete answers. And I'm like, I would very much like to educate myself. So I'm able to talk through these things because like, 
there is so much of unconscious uh, or conscious things that seep into queer relationships in my in, in, in my instance gay relationships specifically like like gender roles like someone performing in a more feminine way versus someone performing in a more masculine way or someone performing in the middle and and people assuming certain sexual uh, positions or or things for that like I said, I don't think I know if I'm even making any sense. I'm literally no, just talking you, you on the fly. Are, I think I, <laughs> these are just I, like I, things that have come up in in my mind. And like I said, I'm like yeah. I want to, I want to do. I'm doing. I'm trying to do research, but yeah. I would like to be in an educational setting where I can, I can actually learn more about it. And I, I think what you're doing on your podcast is going to help that, right? Because you're having conversations with lots of queer and gay people. So in these conversations, you're going to get some of your answers, I would say. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, for sure. So I like, I also kind of wanted to talk, and we did touch on this a bit, like just the hypocrisy of people these days. <laughs> so you know that whole, like, I don't know what kind of community you're in currently, whether, you know, you've got lots of gay friends or not many, but personally, like in my circle, I don't have a lot. Like there's just, I just happen to not. And like, I hear people all the time saying, you know, like, oh, I don't care if people are gay, do whatever you want. But you know, if it was my kid, no, no, no. Like, you know, and you hear, and you're like, are you actually serious? And, but people make these comments all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know, like, what do you think is a way to have a conversation with somebody who says something like that? Like, what would you like, for example, your parents sort of dealt with similar, you know, people in their community were like, oh, like people who are gay are fine. But like what your son is like, you know, like, what would you suggest as a way to have that conversation to open up people's minds? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a loaded question. And I don't. I have thoughts, but I don't know that I have enough. I know right now I don't have enough like, education and, and, and knowledge. And and something I think it's always important to say is like everything I've talked about and everything I've spoken on is I am a, a, cis, a cisgender uh, gay male, white male. So right. the experiences I've had and how I get to live in the world is very a lot of stuff is due to white privilege and mm-hmm. I have had it much easier than a lot of uh, trans women. I know trans people. I know not binary people. I know just uh, gay black and indigenous people of color that I know, but to, to, to act, to, to say kind of like my thoughts is something I, I try to say is the universal experience of love, the experience of love is universal no matter what the experience of self-acceptance acceptance of self like so whether that be gender sexuality is is universal i think the most important thing that i try to do is i think it's very important to celebrate moments in queer history and wins for queer identity and tell the stories about and of stonewall and 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 um and like uh all the riots that happened before the Stonewall, like Black Cat and the annual reminder days and and moments. But I think something I'm very excited to see and hoping to see are stories where queer identity is is normalized and the story the story isn't about the trauma. And right. the story isn't about the experience of coming over uh, uh, of 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 getting over the hump of will my parents accept me will my community accept me but mm-hmm. the person's already out and it's maybe it's just like a disney fairy tale about like <laughs> the prince rescuing the prince or, yeah or or um just like a, a pixar movie about a, a a trans kid who's who's dealing with um i don't know like moving to another city oh i know what you mean. okay i see what you're saying like so just like a trans kid who just living a regular life we're not even going to focus on the fact that yeah they're trans yeah i see what you're i love it, that because I, it's it's yeah. it it all queer people we have we have experiences yeah. just like yeah everyone else but the experiences of coming out and uh, whether it be coming out uh, as, as as gay or, or trans or non-binary is it was created because we grew up 
seeing that heterosexual was the norm. Cisgender was the norm. So you're saying you want it to be, you don't even have to come out. Like, what does it matter? Yeah. I mean, I I get it. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think the, I, and that's not take to take away from the, like coming out because I think coming out to your community and your family is one thing, but the coming out to yourself is a whole other win that deserves to be celebrated because you get to you unlock some part, you really unlock a part of yourself that's always been there, but you didn't know. And then I, once you, once you lean into that and find the people that really celebrate that part of you, you, you feel like you're able to grow and become this fully self-actualized human that we all deserve to become. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And, you know, I was just listening to your last episode and I just had a a thought on it because you guys were, you were talking with your friend who um, says like, you know, why do we have to come out or why do you even have to, you know, like, so it was your playwright friend that you interviewed and he was saying that a girl liked him. And when he's like, oh, I actually have a boyfriend. She was like, what? I never would have guessed that you were gay. And he's like, why does it matter? Like, why would you even have to guess? Like, Mm -hmm. But I did have this thought and I was thinking like, we all want to assign identities to people, right? Like I'll be walking down the street and I'll see a couple, like two people talking and I'll in my head build up this whole story of what they're doing, whether it's a first date or if it's a married couple who hates each other or whatever it is. I create these stories and I assign these identities to people. Like, do you think that that's kind of just what we do as human nature just to be like, okay, is that person like me? Um, are they part of my group? Like, is that like a primal thing that we just need to like assess what the person standing in front of us is and what they're about? Or like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, I, I very much agree. I, I recently just like use the metaphor a lot. Like the human brain is like a computer and our, our, our mind needs to, when it, when it, when our eyes like intercept something and see something, it needs to find like a file to, to, yeah. to put that in. So it's like, great. Yes. I know exactly to what you need to think about it or like, or whatever, yeah. like for whatever reason. And when we have are presented with something that our brain can compute, it's like, we start to feel like, but I, I, I don't have a file. I don't have a label. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what to do. We start to like, totally. I've, and I've had very much had this myself too. Like we start to get riled up inside yeah. and I think it's human nature to want to put things in boxes and it doesn't mean it's not discriminatory all the Sometimes it is, of course, but sometimes it's just like, no, I need to like put you in this box and I need to put you in this box and I'm going to put myself in this box. You know what I mean? Like, it's just what we do. Yeah. It's, it's, it's human nature. And like the only, the thing I always, I, I, I bring up a lot is I just ask myself and I present to other people, like ask yourself why you have the thoughts that you do when you are Mm -hmm. presented with something that you either don't know how to compute or you do have certain biases towards that probably that might not be the greatest biases like going back to to what you said about um when you commented on the fact that's like someone like oh i would have never guessed you gay uh one of the things that uh, a lot of, of of trans people experiences are the transphobic comments of like Oh, you're trans. I would have never guessed, or mm-hmm. or or asking uh, uh, really invasive c- questions and, and yeah. comments. Did you get like the that. surgery? Like, yeah, all that. Yeah, which it's yeah. it's like, well, why does it why does it matter yeah. that you could right. or could not tell that I was trans, or why does it matter that you could or could not tell I was I was gay? Like, yeah. just that's it's th- those those comments are very are very much transphobic and homophobic because it perpetuates stereotypes and because it perpetuates negative biases for right. biases biases for <laughs> um towards towards queer people and trans people and gay yeah. people and yeah like i do i definitely understand what you're saying but like i think if somebody's saying oh i i didn't realize you were gay like 
is that always a negative bias? It'd be the same as if I was, you know, I always see some guy in a social setting and he's like a big drinker. He's always doing keg stands, whatever. And then all of a sudden I'm downtown at a corporate meeting and I see him in a suit and tie and turns out he's this big wig. And I'm like, oh, I never would have realized you had this kind of job. Like, isn't it sort of, can you not compare the two or am I just totally out to lunch? It, I, <laughs> I do think it, I do think it does because it perpetuates the stereotype of what you assume gay people to look like and act like oh, and, okay. it, and perpetuates like, oh, you assume there, I see okay. that kind of thing. And like you assume yeah. a trans woman to, to look a certain way or, right. um, which, which I think my 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 opinion is like acknowledging I have this thought, but not like acting on the thought. Like I said, asking yourself why you have the thought and working right. to deconstruct it so it no longer is a part of your um, totally. brain process. You know that that is a good point. Actually, now that you say that, because it's like, well, why wouldn't you have thought they were gay because they're not flamboyant or whatever, right? That would be why. I understand what you're saying for sure. Okay, that's a look at this. You're teaching me. This is the point. (laughs) Well, there's also there's a great documentary out there that I. It's called Do I Sound Gay, and it, it talks about this very thing. But it talks. It specifically talks about this guy who who goes on this journey because he thinks of his voice as being too gay, and it talks about the 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 stereotype of 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 gay people having a sounding a certain way so like for for gay men the stereotypical of like having a higher pitched voice and sometimes talking with a lisp and yeah. and and sounding what we assume to be more feminine um yeah and it very much like he he talks about like he has a straight friend who who they film who talks what we think of as the gay sound and then he has a straight friend who who i believe is is from a a straight canadian friend who is Mm -hmm. like literally like is giving you like lumberjack realness and just like (laughs) is like out like having a beer and like playing sports with his buddies and he likes boys so yeah interesting yeah. yeah so it's a it's a great documentary that really gets into to into all of it You know what? I might actually look that up. That's awesome. I love this. So I'd like to kind of wrap up now, but let's give, do you have any last words of advice for people who don't live in the queer community or who aren't, you know, immersed in this kind of stuff? Yeah, I, I think it's, I, first off, support work created by queer people. So I think if you haven't seen the TV show Pose, it is a, a great show that, it's the the largest cast of 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 transgender people it, to date on any form of film television to my knowledge where can, where um, can we find that it's I've never uh, heard season of it. 1 and 2 are on netflix it was created oh. by ryan murphy who who's a gay man who is very much someone who's bringing queer stories uh to the forefront and it, it the story focuses on the ballroom scene um in the in Harlem in the 1980s, the, just the experience for transgender people, specifically transgender women of color, and yeah, and so that again is is a work that is created by not only about the queer story but also created by a queer person. And I just it, just keep your remain open. Ask mm-hmm. yourself again, like why you have these certain biases towards queer people or certain yeah. like thoughts uh, like queer people or like 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 we said like acting a certain way yeah. um and if you can like talk with a queer person um right. really just be active about reaching out don't expect everything to come to you mm-hmm. expect to go and get the spoon yourself and feed yourself with right. the knowledge you know, actually, that's an, another thing your playwright uh, friend was saying. Like, I'm just referencing all your podcasts here, but <laughs> it might he might have been talking about the um, like the Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter situation, or maybe it was queer. I can't actually remember. But he was saying when I have conversations with people, if they've already done like 85 percent of their own learning, I'm happy to feed them the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to have to feed somebody the entire. Thing. Like I'm not here to educate. And I actually found that really 
really interesting. And it's like, we yeah. are all, we have nothing but information at our fingertips. And so all of us can't go around and say, well, I didn't know. How was I supposed to know what life was like for you? Nobody yeah. told me. It's like, we have the ability to teach ourselves like, and having these conversations is kind of like icing on the cake, right? Like we should be able to provide the cake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. That's amazing. Alrighty. So Nick, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Nicholas E77. That's Nicholas with a K, not an H, because my dad wanted to be original. So he was like, <laughs> we're going to make it a K and not an H. And it also makes sense that my nickname and now stage name is is Nick. Um, <laughs> and follow my podcast. It's Query Queer Queries. Follow us on Instagram at queer.queries and listen to us. We're ever you can listen to podcasts. I will link everything and tag everything in all my posts. Awesome. Well, Nick, I really appreciate you coming on here and having a chat with me. I think that I actually did learn something today. So I think that was the goal. So you win. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much, Amanda, for just creating this platform and and having this conversation in the first place. This was awesome. Well, I, I can't wait to uh, talk to you again because this was awesome. For sure. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to that. I thought it was a good episode, and Nick gave us some really valuable information. I actually did learn a little bit from him and just his perspective. So if you guys want to go check him out, go look at his or listen to his podcast. It's called Queer Queries. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, anywhere that you get your podcast, I think, probably wherever you're listening to this one. And I also just wanted to mention and thank him for being so honest with the fact that he doesn't have all the answers. I did ask some questions and he was like, you know what, I'm not sure. I'd like to educate myself more before I speak on that. And I think that's a really mature answer. Um, you know, I think that's the purpose of doing this kind of thing is just to have the conversations and open up the dialogue. And just because you're having the conversation doesn't mean that you are supposed to know everything, right? It's just a way to kind of open it up. And now the conversation has been started. So if anybody has any opinions or questions, reach out to me, reach out to Nick. I'd love to hear your your conversation. So you can go join us on the Facebook group, the Tell Me More podcast Facebook group. And I'll probably have a discussion on there about, you know, everything really. So yeah, thanks everybody for listening and I will catch you on the next one.